MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, October 29th, 2021. My last day of vacation. Thank you so much for supporting me taking a week off and everybody taking a week off every eight weeks or so. Today I have a great show. I have Lehigh County recorder and 2022 Pennsylvania State Senate candidate Mark Pinsley. And then I'm going to play the interview that I did with Peter Strzok earlier in the week on Mueller, she wrote. I wanted you to hear it in case you missed it. It's really incredible. It has all, all things to do with the raid on Oleg Deripaska. So I hope you enjoy these interviews and uh, I hope you enjoy them as much as I did. Everybody, welcome back. I have a very special guest today. He's currently the controller of Lehigh County in Pennsylvania, and he is running for state Senate. Please welcome Mark Pinsley. Hi, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. There's been so much news nationally coming out of your state, Keystone State. Is, do I have that right? Keystone State? Yes, you do. Yeah. Ooh, all right. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be the Keystone State again, too, the way things are going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've been talking to a lot of people from these the you know these six states that got so much focus in, in 2020 continue to get focus as the big lie is perpetuated. Yeah, and we need to really shore up our local, state, municipal elections, school boards in these states because they're under massive attack for doing nothing more than simply voting. That's it. We actually had a gentleman here not too long ago said he wanted to bring 20 strong men to uh, to the school board because he wasn't getting his way. And if they didn't give him his way, he was going to take take them out and vote in their place. The school board members and, you know, like school board members, as you said, they didn't sign up for this. Right. Like they're, they're just trying to do the right thing for the kids. Yeah. Do the right thing. I mean, and it makes sense too. you know, we, we don't let them run in class. We don't let them punch each other. You know, how about we have them not get each other sick. We we get our kids vaccinated. It's just, it's mind-blowing what's happening. But we don't let them come in naked either, by the way. So, you know, wearing a mask or a shirt, for example. <laughs> I know. I, I think somebody posted a photo of a, of a bunch of kids in line going to recess and they had masks on and they're like, look at what they're making these kids wear. And I was like, pants? You know? I <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but seriously, though, they're infiltrating us at the local level, state level municipal and and we you know we've got to really kind of pay attention push back keep running and keep keeping the fight and you're you won in 2019 controller you you unseated a long time incumbent i did yeah i mean so the controller is an interesting position too so it, it blends with my background so like i'm finance major in college and uh you know i've worked in large businesses and small businesses and of course finance is a focus but you know like people don't think about controller. They don't think about any of the row offices, meaning, you know, like, so it's like the DA, we, we start thinking about more of the controller, the sheriff, things like that. People don't really, they don't really know what they do, you know, overall. And the controller's job really, to be honest, is, is one where you see the money all the time. Like that's my focus. So like we, we are an internal audit function. So for example, you know, every two weeks we do payroll, we run payroll. So we audit that payroll. We make sure that the people who are getting paid are actually employees, as an example, <laughs> getting paid the right amount. 
also getting the right uh, vacation time and all that kind of stuff. So we, we check all of those things. And so anything that, that the county pays for or any money that comes in comes through, uh, you know, or we have the ability to audit. Okay. And so, the, yeah, that's a, that's a huge checks and balance system on the money. Yeah, exactly. It's, and I get to shine the spotlight on things, right? Like, so, you know, I can look at healthcare as an example, or I could look at um, the jails, you know, anything like that. Well, it seems to me that being controller then gives you insight in where money might be spent like inappropriately or where it needs to be shifted to. Like you can't really do anything about that as a control. You can audit and make sure it's all good and that the numbers add up. But but I think it gives you kind of a a view of like, oh, you know, we should probably there should be different policy or legislation that moves money in different spots. We're really needing over here. We're lacking in this area. And and so I, I can see how kind of understanding how the money works, you know, first of all, just how it works, but also where it's being spent and how it's being spent would really inform you as a state senator, which is what you're the position you're running for. As it, it gives you great insight. You know, so, for example, a couple of things that I did recently. So one was um, I did an audit on the jails and I was looking to see, you know, so for every dollar that a prisoner spends on a phone call. The county gets 70 cents of that as a commission. So last year, we made $750,000 in commissions off of phone calls made by prisoners and realize like it's not the prisoner actually paying, it's their family member or their loved one paying. So like, like that's something that I disagree with. I don't think that we should be you know, collecting money in that way. But so my role in, in as a controller is to study that. And then show it. And then ultimately it becomes the citizen's responsibility uh, if they want to see that change. Right. And then if, if you're a state senator, then, you I, can then I get a help chance make to make that change. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And so that kind of leads into the to this next question as to, you know, sort of what being how being the controller prepares you for being a state senator and, and why you're running for state Senate and who you're running against. Yeah. So, I mean, you're exactly right. So one of the things that I feel blessed at it in being this position is you get to see all of the money, where it flows, where it's needed. You know, a lot of money for the county comes in from the state. So we have about $130 million budget from money that comes from our county. And then there's an additional almost three or 400 million that comes from the state in terms of grants. Wow. So we get to, I get to see all of that being used and where it goes. And so it gives you really some good insights on, on where you can focus and how to change that money. You know, so for example, we just got, you know, because of the American uh, uh, Rescue Plan, our county got about $72 million. And like, I do not like how it's being spent, to be blunt. Uh, and I created a letter and I sent it to the board. And, and by the way, we have a blue board, you know, so these are Democrats in the majority. And I still felt like, you know, we're spending this money in a way that we should have just borrowed money for, not that we should be using the American Rescue Plan for. Hmm. You know, and I put out some suggestions on how we could better spend the money. And, and they're taking some of those suggestions uh, to heart. And so hopefully they'll make some of those changes. But, you know, as an example, one of the things that, that's going on right now, is, as I'm sure you're well aware, is, is that, you know, there's, there's an eviction. There was an eviction moratorium. And now people are starting to become evicted. And with that $72 million, one of the suggestions that I had, and this is something that Philadelphia did, was to use about a little over a million dollars for legal aid. And so what that would do is help people that are being evicted negotiate with their landlords. 
you know, and I've had many discussions with landlords and, and they actually want this because they don't really want to kick someone out, right? Like really they want their money. And so if they can get an agreement from the tenant, like, okay, we're going to pay you over 18 months or whatever the time period is that they agree to. And by the way, if we don't pay you, then we don't have to go through this whole process again, right? The landlord doesn't have to go through the whole process again. Then both parties win. Mm. You know, the, the tenant gets to stay and they, and like most tenants, they, they want to pay their bills anyway. They're not just trying to get out. They don't want to not have a place to live. Well, could the money be used to just pay the rent? And so there's a different sum of money that's that's uh, put aside to help them pay their rent. Oh, a different bucket. Okay. A different bucket. Yeah. So um, there was two plans that came out. One was rental assistance, and then one was just the $72 million that we got. And so, you know, part of the problem is that you can't get through the rental assistance process fast enough. You know, there's just only so much, there's a lot of paperwork that goes on. Somebody has to review it, those kind of things. And so during that period of time, it would be nice to have a lawyer to say, hey, first off, the money's coming. <laughs> in the meantime, can we make this arrangement? Yeah. And I think that that puts you in a really great position running for state Senate because you you can come out and, and, and in ad campaigns and say, last year we spent on this. Elect me. I think we should be spending it on this, you know, and I think that that really gives you kind of a, a leg up. Who's your opponent in this race for, for states? It's a guy named Pat Brown, who I lost to last time. Right. But just by barely. Right. Like right, a just couple barely. thousand votes or something. Yeah, exactly. And so he's running again, or at least I believe he's running again. So we'll see what ends up happening. And I, and I think that this time, you know, there were some people in the party that didn't really helped me last time because it was so far apart. Like the, the person that ran against Pat Brown previously hadn't done a good job. Well, now I came so close that I think we have a lot more people willing to help. You're like, see, look. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. A, a right? bummer. <laughs> like you preemptively could have helped me out, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Well, I have a, a few more questions I want to ask you about about your platform and what, what you're running on. But I do need to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yeah, sure will. All right, great. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back with Mark Pinsley. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Beanbox. Beans, Beanbox, such a good match. A good morning routine is important to me. Routines are important to me. It helps me alleviate anxiety. I enjoy getting up early, going to the gym, and getting my day started after with a cup of coffee or two or three. And I think brewing coffee at home is just more enjoyable, especially in the fall when the aroma fills your house and you have the ritual... Of, of, you know, brewing and, you know, having your morning cup of coffee. It's just amazing. And uh, that's why you need to try Beanbox. Your coffee ritual will be elevated even further with a curated selection of world-class coffees delivered right to your door. This is the best box subscription service ever. And thanks to Beanbox, my morning routine is better. They have consistently high quality and amazing variety of flavors. And it's fun opening a new box and finding flights of coffees I probably would never get to taste otherwise. And these make great gifts. You can discover new independent roasters and small batch micro lots every month. No other subscription coffee service offers the same incredible variety and quality, always roasted and delivered at peak flavor. Take a guided tour through some of the best coffees in the world with Beanbox. Order today at beanbox.com slash dailybeans to get your first tasting box for just $5 when you use promo code dailybeans, all one word. That is your first monthly tasting box for just five bucks when you use promo code dailybeans at beanbox.com slash dailybeans. That's a lot of beans. And now on to something called Athletic Greens. This is so awesome. This is so convenient. I love Athletic Greens. They have this new thing called AG1 because health and wellness is important. And this is a health and wellness company that makes a comprehensive daily nutrition 
all in one thing. You can get everything that you need in one place in a very, very simple, delicious scoop of awesomeness. Okay, so stress, poor sleep, exercise, and a hectic schedule make it difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and provide our bodies with the nutrients they need to flourish. You know, I'm very busy. I only eat once a day. I drink a bunch of coffee and uh, maybe a glass of wine. But anyway, I have huge gaps in my nutrition. And that's why AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category-leading superfood product you have to try. It brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everyone. One of these tasty scoops of AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. It's got a multivitamin, a multi-mineral. It's got a probiotic for your gut. It's got greens, superfood blends, and more in one convenient serving. It's all there. A special blend of high-quality bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill the nutritional gaps and support energy and focus. And it aids with gut health and digestion. And it supports a healthy immune system, which is so important right now. It effectively replaces multiple products and pills with one healthy, healthy, delicious drink. It is lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, or dairy-free or gluten-free, you know I'm paleo and I'm an intermittent faster. So it's, it's perfect. And it contains less than one gram of sugar. It's got no GMOs, no gross chemicals, no artificial anything. And it keeps tasting great. It's amazing. My favorite thing about it is the research. It changes and so does AG1. That's how science works, right? Most nutritional products come on the market. They never evolve. But Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve AG1 based on latest research and science. And they've actually had 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. So I really recommend you give it a try. It's so easy. It's so convenient. And to make it easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D, and you get five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the controller in Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, who's running for state Senate there, Mark Pinsley. And uh, before the break, I had alluded to the fact that I wanted to know what you're running on. We know you're the, the Democratic candidate. Tell us a little bit about the district you're running in, because of my understanding is they're redrawing the maps a little bit. So you're not even quite sure. But I, I would love to hear about what, you know, the demographics of your of your district that you're wanting to represent in state Senate and, and what your platform is. Yeah. So, I mean, so demographic wise, uh, we have about 25 percent of the community is, is Hispanic. Um, we also we're like a little many United States. So we have uh, a rural section, a suburban section, and an urban section, you know, within, you know, a pretty small geographic landscape. Uh, and, and we are completely within Lehigh County. So, you know, I know that in some cases in Pennsylvania, like districts overlap in different counties. In our case, we're all in a single county. And I think that that our district may end up getting geographically a little bit smaller. We are one of the few counties that grew in Pennsylvania, mm. which means, you know, we got to shrink the county. So it can only be whatever, 300,000, 250,000 to 300,000 people somewhere in that range. You know, it's a middle-class group. Obviously you've got a pretty big spread of everyone. I think probably going to one of the reasons that I'm running, because like, the, I think that one of the things that worries me the most right now is, is like democracy and making sure we have it <laughs> later. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, and it's funny because like this isn't just, you know, the Republican Party or or whatever. I think it's there's a group of people. And when I talk to some of them, they're like, well, you know, you know, a benevolent dictator wouldn't be terrible. I'm like, well, yeah, I would. <laughs> and it's frightening because we used to just run, you know, for, for Senate to be like, I want to get jobs for, for right. the people in my district. I would like them to, you know, 
have a, a better foundation and access to housing and health care. And now it's I would like them to have a republic and access <laughs> to vote and, and not have their votes discounted. And so, you know, I think that I think it's amazing that we can reach and find find those people that that want to do that. And I feel like every I feel like every group has its has its folks that don't that aren't into it. And that that's what's frightening. And we've got to preserve this. We've got to preserve this democracy. It's almost I, I, I don't think we've ever been in this kind of situation before. Not that I can remember, certainly not in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it's a very scary situation from my perspective because, you know, you give up democracy, you don't get it back. You know, it's not like you can sort of swing back and forth. Like someone, once somebody's in charge, especially a dictator, even if they start out benevolent, they don't typically end up that way, right? They get, they, right? I don't know what anyone means when they say benevolent dictator. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. It really just means they put some money in your pocket for some small period of time. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. right. But democracy, I mean, that's one of my main components of my platform really right now is voting rights. You know, because what we have seen here in Pennsylvania, there's a guy, Doug Mastriano, who's a state senator who's been uh, fighting for an Arizona style audit here in Pennsylvania. We've heard we've heard about him all the way out here in California. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. I mean, this guy is nuts. And the problem is, is so they took him off of being the lead because he was making too many waves, but he's still in the group, the committee that is still trying to do this. And they just subpoenaed all of the records, you know, so they're looking for all of your information, where you live, how often you vote, all that kind of stuff. Part of your social security number, your date of birth. Uh, Yeah, that's frightening. It is frightening. You know, the funny thing is, is let's say 90% of it, they could literally buy online for $20. Right. Like all of the all of the voting information is available. It's the Social Security number, the, as you said, the date of birth and the um, driver's license. What do they need that for? Like you don't even you're not even required to have a driver's license to vote. So what are they doing? And you just know that it's it's there's no there's nothing good that's going to happen. I I think they're taking, frankly, the the shortcut from what they were trying to do in Arizona. I personally and this is just my own opinion. I think they wanted their hands on all those ballots so they could they could farm the information from them. Absolutely. Just to get their hands on voter information. That's why they wanted the machines. That's why they wanted they wanted to get that voter data, right? This the stuff yep. that Manafort sold to Russia. You know, that's that's it's got value to to these dark money operatives. But well how does it work in Pennsylvania? Who because there's a lot of states that are changing their laws to say that no longer do the voters elect the electors. They take the first step, but the we, we've decided now that, the, that our legislature or a state assembly or, or state Senate, they can pick, they choose who the electors are. And, and I, I was wondering how it's set up in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, that's to some extent true here, only in the sense that we've been gerrymandered. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, the legislation drew the lines in that way. They have chosen their constituents rather than their constituents choosing them mm-hmm. in terms of like I've seen some states where they've literally changed the law so that the legislator can decide whether or not they accept the vote or not. We haven't gotten that there yet, although what I would say is, is we have a red Senate, a red House, but a blue governor. So they haven't been able to get stuff like that passed. 
The governor is up uh, in 2022 as well. And if we were to lose that seat and we maintain the Red House, the Red Senate, and then a Red Governor, uh, Pennsylvania is lost mm. at that point. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've heard that the Republicans want to do is right now, um, we are a winner take all for the Electoral College. So whatever our popular vote is within Pennsylvania, we, that gets all the votes. What they want to do is distribute that to all of the Congress, the congressional districts, which would basically make Pennsylvania a red state. Yeah. Keep keep your popular vote. There's a lot of states yeah. who I wish would change <laughs> to that. Texas being one. Right. For example, that God, they have like nine, seven, nine million thousand counties. But, you know, that's, you know, districts. But, <laughs> I know they do, yeah. But yeah, that that would because of the gerrymandering. Yeah. that you know, And that's a really good point you bring up. What is the difference between like, let's say you have an election in your state for for federal state and then the the people choose the slate of electors. That's how the Electoral College works. But then if yep. you if you allow your legislature to toss them out and say, nope, we want the Republican electors and we have the power to do that. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what a what a horrible and anti-democratic idea. But then you're like, yeah, but gerrymandering is the same thing. It is the same thing. Absolutely. It's just you don't notice it as much because you think, <laughs> well, I voted. Right. Yeah. You don't understand how the numbers work. Yeah. Once you understand how the numbers work, you're like, oh, did I really vote? <laughs> yeah. It's the same taking your vote away. <laughs> it's exactly. That's it. It's exactly what that is. And it's a really good point. So do me a favor. Tell me where everyone can find your campaign, follow your campaign, donate, volunteer, text bank, phone bank, write postcards. This your election, your primary elections in May. Yep. And um, and the the generals later in the year, uh, November. Yeah, like everyone in November. Yeah. Yep, correct. Yep. Midterms. But we, uh, but I'm fighting. Uh, I'm I'm fighting against the guy who's been there for a while. So yeah, all the money that they can send would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, and we have, you know, we've got a lot of, of of active folks. I know we've got a lot of Pennsylvanians who listen, and uh, who who might be wanting and willing to write postcards. That's one of the favorite things amongst. I love postcard writers. The Daily Beans listeners because they get so creative, and it's and it's it's actually it's meditative, right? Writing these postcards and yeah. yeah. So. Where do they go? So they go to votemarkpinsley.com. And that's P as in Peter, I-N as in Nancy, S-L-E-Y. So votemarkpinsley.com. And, you know, we are happy to get all the volunteers that we can get, no matter what state that they're in. As I said, like, you know, voting even at the state level can well affect the, uh, the Electoral College, which affects the entire nation. So we need to keep Pennsylvania growing and getting bluer, too. Agreed. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yep. VoteMarkPinsley.com. VoteMarkPinsley.com, yep. And Mark is with a K. Correct. Everyone. Because I know we've got some Marks with Cs out there. I've gotten letters. So <laughs> anyway, it's been really great to, to speak with you and uh, we wish you luck. And will you check back in with us as the, as the campaign progresses? Let us know how it's going. Absolutely. I would love to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, everybody. Again, that's VoteMarkPinsley.com. And uh, make sure do everything you can to help out. It's it's not just, you know, it's not just about who lives in Pennsylvania. These these states that are under attack, these particular these six states that are under attack nationally by by the by Q and the right wing and, and people who would like to see democracy taken down need our help. So, again, that's vote dot com. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody, it's A.G. And this Helping of the Beans is brought to you by Monk Pack, because 
Healthy snacks usually taste awful. They don't fill you up. They have a bad reputation. They don't satisfy your cravings. But not anymore. Monk Pack is here. And they have sponsored this episode, which I love them for. And they make snacks that taste like favorite sugary treats, but with only one gram of sugar or less. These keto granola bars by Monk Pack contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, non-GMO. They don't have any soy, trans fat, or sugar alcohols or high-intensity sweeteners. And while they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, you do not have to be keto to love these. And you have snacks all day at your fingertips delivered to your house. And it's incredible. They're a perfect snack for anyone trying to eat better or cut back on sugar. They have a soft and chewy texture. They come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, which is now my new favorite. They also have peanut butter and blueberry almond vanilla, ton of variety. My favorite right now, like I said, that coconut cocoa chip. I love coconut. It reminds me of uh, granola bars from my childhood. They're perfect for a quick breakfast or right after you work out or in between Zoom calls or a midnight snack. Try them for yourself and you'll see. And we have a special deal for you. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so there's no risk here. If you don't like them for any reason, they will exchange the product or refund your money. No questions asked, whichever you prefer. So to get started, go to monkpack.com, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com, select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. Hey, everybody, welcome back. So sanctioned Russian oligarch with direct ties to Putin, Oleg Deripaska, had his homes in D.C. and New York raided by the FBI this week in an investigation stemming from either the Southern District or Eastern District of New York. And here to discuss the ins and outs is my favorite Russian spy hunter, author of the book Compromised. (laughs) Please, Please welcome Peter Strzok. Hi, Peter. Hey, how are you? Good. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, you too. Uh, first first things first here. I mean, out of the blue, seemingly, we have these raids on Deripaska's, well, he owns them. I don't know if he lives there, but they're his residences. Can you just give us your top line thoughts on how this is, you know, we hadn't heard anything leading up to this uh, and and what your takeaways are from, from this raid, these raids, I should say? Um, so it was surprising. And I think based on Deripaska kind of having a little mini meltdown on his Telegram channel overnight, that it was a surprise to him as well. He was, you know, kind of complaining about everything and took a shot at the end that hopefully the, you know, the agents, you know, found stale jam and some bottles of vodka and their Bolshevik bean counting ways and looking for, you know, money bags from Putin. So he was, he was clearly both uh, not pleased and surprised. But I think all of us, the question is, you know, so what, for an FBI agent to be in a place, they either have to have the consent of the person who has control over it, or they need a warrant, and either a criminal warrant or a FISA warrant. Typically, FISA warrants are not done overtly like this was. So that tells me that there was some sort of a court order, um, probably a search warrant, um, that gave them lawful authority to be there. And you know, the most likely reason is that there is an ongoing investigation that they're was a, you know an agent who could sit down and swear out an affidavit saying that there was probable cause to believe that there was evidence of crime in those residences you know and that can be typically fruits or instrumentalities right something that was used to 
do the crime, something that is evidence, you know, bank records, phone records, legal documents, something that would show computer, you know, hard drive, something that would show the commission or evidence of the commission of a crime. And then there's also kind of a component too, like he was, he was sanctioned, put on the sanction list by treasury in 2018. So, you know, there are forfeiture provisions that come. So it might be, and one of the thoughts I had is, you know, it is possible as part of these sanctions that the U.S. government could go looking to attach to his assets to forfeit them and essentially take control of them, you know, sell them, but whatever monetary penalty was owed to the United States and or if these were the result of illegal activity to seize that. So first thought was like, well, maybe they're going in there just to catalog on the fine art. And but as as the day went on, you know, people in both locations in DC and um, New York, the news coverage had, you know, just videos and photographs of people carrying out boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff and small boxes, not like, you know, marble statues or big paintings, but things that make you believe that it would be whatever those items are, um, something that would be consistent with evidence of a crime. I think there was something showing a, a car being towed away from DC, but you know, whether that was, I, because that might have evidence or, or trace, you know, sort of, you know, fingerprints, hair fiber type stuff, or if it was just seeking to, you know, seize the vehicle to forfeit, I don't know. But the high level takeaway is I think it surprised everybody. Mm-hmm. I think the immediate memory that comes to everybody is that the business relationship between Manafort and Deripaska and the fact that, you know, allegedly Deripaska had loaned him up and around $10 million as part of trying to settle that debt that Manafort was offering private briefings about the Trump campaign to Deripaska that he provided, you know, the now infamous, you know, confidential campaign polling data that he gave to Constant Klimnik, which now the Senate at least is calling an intelligence officer, Russian intelligence officer, not just an agent, but, you know, that kind of closest point contact that at least we've seen publicly between elements of the Trump campaign and the Russian intelligence services. But Manafort gave that polling data to Klimnik, asking Klimnik to give it to um, Deripaska. So there is, I think everybody, when you hear Deripaska, the thought is, okay, is there something relating to this? I think Andrew Weissman in his book talked about the, the possibility of being very close to being able to charge Manafort with regard to some conspiracy in the context of his relationship with Deripaska. Um, so DOJ cleared him to say that in the book. Uh, but it could, it may be that, it also may not be. It may be, you know, Deripaska is, a, you know, allegedly has been involved in part of the things he was sanctioned for. We're engaging in a variety of not just unsavory, but illegal business dealings. So this might be the result of other investigations of other criminal activity. And, you know, what that might be, anybody's guess. So we shall see, I think. Well, um, uh, great minds, Pete, because you just flew through every single question that I had for the entire <laughs> interview. So I think we're done. No, um, I want to I want to unpack some of that stuff, though. Um, and I want to talk about, first of all, the the criminal investigation versus counterintelligence investigation. Uh, did I hear you correctly? Are you saying that simply being sanctioned means that you might have to uh, forfeit Forfeit assets. I, I I don't I don't know enough about how Treasury designations convey the ability to seize or attach things, tangible goods or money in accounts. So I think, in in other words, I don't know. There could be at least 
and I'm, I'm way out over my skis here. One could be if you owe some sort of judgment where you are in default for a court has found that you're liable for paying some amount of money and the government can go look at some point to seize um, assets to fulfill that obligation. The other thing would be slightly different that if you are you know, laundering money or if you're buying things that, you know, that are a, the fruit of illegal activity that you can attach to that through forfeiture. And those are slightly different things, but the ins and outs of how that works with treasury designations, I just, I don't know enough to, to be able to speculate on that. Um, so, and again, to the point of what, what folks were after in there, um, they're in there a long time. I mean, the, the, I think, it was, you know, whatever time it popped up when some reporter was running by or walking by his DC residence. And I think they were there at least late until the late afternoon, early evening. So easily, you know, 10, 12 hours inside. This was not, you know, I'm looking for a thumb drive, go in there and, you know, dig through. There was a lot of material taken out. So the scope of the warrant appears to be fairly broad. Um, and, you know, again, we're, we're guessing it's out of New York, not DC. So, you know, there's some spec, I, I, I have seen people speculate and I don't think it is related to the Lev Parnas, Igor Fruman cases or Rudy's investigation. I, it might be, um, but I don't know. And it is interesting too, though, that it is out of New York and not DC um, because some of those logical you need some sort of venue for whatever you're investigating in the criminal sense. So if it were something related to, you know, 2016, of course, passing that polling data took place at the Grand Havana room, which was in New York city and wasn't in DC. So, I mean, I can, I can envision a number of reasons it would be in New York um, and none of them sort of narrow down what this might actually be at the end of the day. Yeah, actually, my first thought was it might be related to Tom Barrick and and that investigation and indictment. I know he had a lot of uh, ties to QIA, Cutter, 666 Fifth Avenue, UAE, but also, um, you know, working with the inaugural committee. And, you know, then you can drag Jolo into this and 1MDB. And because one of the first things I thought of when they were saying they were dragging art out of there is was uh, my first thought was money laundering red flag. Um, but again, yeah, it could be asset forfeiture or seizure, not forfeiture, seizure. Um, it's, I mean, but, you know, until we know, it's just all speculation, but, you know, also, you know, you brought up Weissman, which I thought was interesting because I was going to talk specifically about that, how he said in his book, where, where law ends, that they did have enough to, to get Manafort on uh, conspiracy against the United States. They went with the tax stuff because it was just much far easier to prove. They got a conviction. Um, they got it, the sentencing they thought they were going to get maybe a little on the low end. Um, uh, but, you know, I mean, the only reason he's not in jail is because he was pardoned. Um, but he was not pardoned uh, for that polling data thing. However, in order to get this warrant, they would have to have fresh evidence. Uh, but I don't think that that would preclude it from being tied into an entire scheme. Yeah. And freshness is a big question in my mind. I mean, in other words, you've got to be able to demonstrate to the judge, you know, why you think there's something that is relevant, that is evidence that's there now. And if you look at, you know, some of the neighbors, I think George Conway actually lives in Kellyanne, live very close, if not immediately adjacent to 
the house, he told somebody in some newspaper reporting, I've never seen the lights on there at night. And from what Deripaska, he, I don't think since is sanctioned in, in 2018, that he's lawfully allowed to come into the United States. So the question is, okay, what if, if people, if he hasn't been in there and if people aren't transiting through there or living there, you know, over the course of three years, what does the government have that they're able to say in an affidavit? You know, there's probable cause to think evidence of a crime exists there now. If nobody's really been in there for three years, how do you? It, it, it's it, it's certainly possible, but that puts a that that certainly puts a spin on the on the on the possibilities of what that probable cause is because it's not, you know, it's not going to be a crime that you know, unless he's got a server that's being operated out of the residence now, but if he did something illegal in February of 2021, and he hasn't been in the United States for three years, there's not really, in most scenarios, a reason to think that recent evidence of a crime would be in that residence. Reasonably, it would go back to something that occurred likely, not necessarily, but possibly 2018 or before, whenever the last time he legally could come into the United States. So it, in my mind, points to at least the likely date of whatever this crime or investigation is, some element of it, some element of the criminal activity taking place back whenever it was that Deripaska was last in or able to travel to the United States. Now, I mean, the danger in prognosticating like this, or there, you know, a thousand ways that that theory might fall apart. You know, if he has an assistant that constantly, you know, takes care of the house and he's still getting bank statements there and they're bringing in the mail, well, that could be, they're just, while that scenario laid out seems to me likely, it is by no means certain. So there's always a danger when we start speculating like this. I know, but danger is fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with the incredible interview with Peter Strzok. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG bringing you the Daily Beans, and this segment of the show is sponsored by Upstart. With a credit balance hanging over your head month after month with high interest rates, you make those minimum payments and nothing seems to change. It's an endless cycle of debt, and there doesn't seem to be any relief in sight. But you can make that final payment with Upstart. Over a million people have used Upstart to consolidate high interest debt and pay off credit cards and fund personal expenses. With one fixed monthly payment, Upstart looks beyond your credit history to find you a better loan rate by considering other factors, such as your income, current employment, credit history, stuff like that. You're more than just a number to them. And you can check your rate fast without impacting your credit score. It's a soft pull, and you can do it within minutes for loans between one dollars to $50,000. And if your loan is accepted, you can receive your funds as fast as one business day. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and other information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Peter Strzok, author of the book Compromised. You know, you're right. I, I hadn't thought of that before. It, he, he hasn't been there in a really long time. It's not like the raid on Rudy Giuliani where they had to do it quickly because he's there every day or every other day or, or, or whatever. Or there's people there. It's an active there's activity. Um, and yeah, so I hadn't I hadn't thought of that uh, 
possibility before, but I, I, I'm pretty sure the inspector general at Department of Justice is investigating whether or not a lot of these cases were kind of quashed or held back or purposefully blocked by Bill Barr. Uh, we'll, I don't know when we'll see. It's been more than 90 days uh, since they've started that investigation. I don't know when we'll see the, the fruits of that. We might not if there is an ongoing investigation. I t- they tend to keep those reports under wraps. Um, you know, same inspector general has been looking at January 6th and January 5th since January. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, that's an ongoing take, investigation. I mean, I know just from my own experience, I mean, those things can take years. So I wouldn't, you know, the fact that we're, you know, six, seven months in, it might be another 12 months before anything comes out or more. And Wait, you have personal experience with inspector general Shockingly enough, yeah. They, they tend to keep them quiet unless they want to, like, you know, illegally release uh, expedient private text messages in the in the middle of the night to reporters but that's neither here nor there so yeah um, yeah so no, point being i think we're, we're going to be waiting a while before we see several of these ig investigations and then the other point to the ig is that you know they do have a lot of authority over the fbi in terms of what they can compel and ask and get information wise. But when it comes to the DOJ attorneys, their authority is significantly reduced. A lot of that falls within DOJ's OPR, which is nothing like the IG. So when it comes to the IG looking at the actions of the department versus the FBI, it's not, it it may not, the result may not look like what people are accustomed to seeing when they see reports about the FBI or DEA or subordinate com- investigative components of the department. Yeah. And and you brought up the automobile. I think that that's interesting. Uh, I've heard one or two automobiles were taken. And again, it could be seizure, but also, I mean, you know, how long have this cars been sitting there? Uh, could they have evidence in them? You know, if somebody plugs your phone and the phone into the car, I mean, like who who knows what it is? But I think that it's very telling that there were actually not just in there taking you know fancy expensive stuff. There were seemingly boxes of documents and yeah. uh, did they? You mentioned art. I was I was did did you see that or did people report on that? I mean, I was kind of throwing that as a hypothetical, but I didn't see actual art being dragged out. Yeah, I know people who were like kind of on the ground on the scene, like uh, rubberneckers, et cetera, had seen what appeared to be like a a piece of art with a blanket over it. Uh, So speculation, but art sized things. If that's, I mean, if that's true, if it is art, I mean, that that certainly does point to forfeiture type um, activity. I mean, now it could be any number of things. It could be evidence of a crime and things that might represent, you know, things that the government would want to attach to as the sort of the proceeds of, of ill-gotten gains. Um, but if, if there was art being taken out, that points to, it's not just, you know, looking for evidence of the crime. It's looking for the, 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 the fruits of the crime and how that might be, have been converted via money laundering or something else. But that's interesting. Yeah. And that's the reason I brought up Jolo. I remember, I think Leonardo DiCaprio had to return a Picasso and a Basquiat purchased with uh, laundered money uh, from that was put into the Wolf of Wall Street, oddly. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of where my my brain was going with with that. And I, rem- I remember that investigation and I remember how many people Broidy, uh, somebody from the Fugees, how many people were swept up in that one MDB yep. investigation. And, oh, you know, we got that indictment for illegally donating money uh, to to campaigns uh, funneling it uh, from from one MDB um, and I know that uh, Donald pardoned Broidy 
uh, for mm-hmm. his involvement in that. So it's just it's very um, I mean, there's so many, you know, I mean, you you worked on this. There's just so many threads. And, you know, part of me wonders if the Deripaska raid isn't didn't originate um, in the Mueller investigation, much like I think the Tom Barrick thing did. Or if it's just it could, you know, like I said, it could be just purely a sanctions uh, thing, a sanctions violation, sanctions thing. And but I mean, ten and a half hours, like you said, it doesn't feel like a like a sanctions raid. Yeah. And the other, I mean, you know, Deripaska is, I mean, he is an oligarch. His business interests and is are broad and complex. And so, you know, we are focused on his relationship to Manafort in 2016. But, you know, you think about like the, the Russell, the, you know, the Russian aluminum plant that they had agreed to build in Kentucky, you know, shockingly enough, Senators McConnell and Rand Paul, proud, you know, supporters of that. And my understanding is that, you know, I don't know that a the first shovel has been put into the ground after all that. But, you know, when that was going through, I think that was part of the reason that, you know, through, I don't know if it was CFIUS or another process that Deripaska had to uh, get rid of a majority uh, ownership stake um, or reduce his ownership stake so that the plant could, the plan could go forward. And so that was approved. And I don't know, again, I would be very curious if it's actually resulted in a single additional job for a Kentuckian, but setting that aside, you know, is there something there? Is it the point being that for every one thing like that, if you're Oleg Deripaska and you have extraordinary control over the aluminum production of Russia, you are going to have any number of activities which might run afoul of the law. So it, speculating is is really just that at this point. But I'll expect one soon enough. I mean, look, if you're the FBI, you know when you do these a search like this, let alone two, that it's going to hit the news. And so whatever you have to do before it becomes public, you're going to have done. You know, if it's if it's important, you're going to say, all right, you know, before you take a step that's going to be very alerting and very public like that, anything you need to do in terms of obtaining information at a minimum, like freezing and preserving iCloud accounts or, you know, communications records or anything that might be deleted or deletable, you're going to either get it or maintain it such that when you do something like this, you know, presumably when, you know, Deripaska and his undoubtedly extraordinarily competent attorneys go out to try and control what might be out there. If you're the FBI or DOJ, you've already gotten it or you've already caused it to be copied, sequestered until such a time as you can get a warrant to go get it. So this overt step like this indicates a certain um, maturity of the investigation. And again, it's not like he's not going there. You're not worried that he's going to go in tomorrow and actually there's evidence there that he's going to destroy overnight. So you can pick. I mean, they could have done this a month ago, a week ago, a month from now. There's not a sort of exigent reason to have to go in yesterday. So that tells me that at least a lot of the work that they would have wanted to do if you have the liberty and luxury of picking the time that you're going to search, then you do it once you've accomplished everything that else that you reasonably want to do. So yeah, the urgency, the urgency wasn't there. Yeah. As sometimes it is. Uh, But yeah, we will see. I think one thing we can agree on though is, is how uh, the, the, 
the good news here, I mean, there's a lot of good news for me personally, but the good news here is that we didn't hear a peep about it from the Department of Justice before it went down, much like we didn't have any idea that Tom Barrick was going to be indicted and we didn't have any idea that Rudy was going to be raided. Uh, and so I think that uh, we've, we're back into an era where the Department of Justice is uh, keeping tight-lipped about things, not announcing investigations, uh, and, and, and doing things as, as they're supposed to do them uh, until, like you said, such a time when there's going to be an overt thing that people are going to know about, uh, and they're prepared for, it, for that moment when it arrives. Yeah, and you can go. What will be interesting to do is if the government comes up with enough information to charge Deripaska to pull out whatever that, you know, the complaint or the indictment, whatever it ends up being, and take a look at the narrative. And you can see with Barrick, and, you know, the question is, are there gaps in the narrative, right? Where where people, you know, political actors like Bill Barr or others come in and say, okay, you know, never mind the little established blackout around the election, but we're going to extend that for, you know, six months earlier and months after just to get him out of office. Is there, if and when charges against Deripaska come, is there going to be that similar gap that would point to kind of the, the shenanigans, the politicization of the of the department that occurred in the last administration? Is this just going to present another data point? Um, but you're right. It, it, it didn't leak. Barrick didn't leak. Clearly, investigators in the FBI, investigators in New York and D.C. were well aware of this. And, you know, the first we all hear about it is when we're watching our televisions with, you know, folks in raid jackets, you know, walking into the residence. So it's a good as a, as a former FBI person. That's exactly what you want. That is how it should be. That's appropriate. And now we can all wait and see what comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I like your idea that it's it's a more mature investigation because they didn't have that kind of urgency where that, you know, with Cohen or uh, et cetera, where they had to go in immediately to preserve the evidence, uh, you know, in, in the face of it p- potentially being destroyed. So, yep, we'll keep our eye on it. And uh, I appreciate your time today. Everybody pick up the book Compromised. Really, really good book. Uh, still reading about ghost stories uh, is <laughs> one of my favorite things. So, or, you know, watch the Americans, whatever you need to do. Uh, but I appreciate your time today. Pete Struck. Great. Thanks. Everybody. Thanks so much. It's been an amazing week. You know, I'm recording this a week in the past and I, I'm wondering if any indictments have dropped. Gosh, I hope so. And if not, I'm sure we're just a week closer, uh, especially in that Gates investigation. Uh, but we will be back with you this Sunday, there will be no MSW Book Club. There will be no Mueller She Wrote. Uh, we're taking that day off. But we will be back Monday morning with Dana bright and early to uh, to bring you the beans. And I look forward to it. Until then, everyone have a good weekend. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been Allison Gill and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.